Welcome back to the Homeschool Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Bex Buzzy. And today, we're going to be talking about how we are all wired for story. And to do this, we have award-winning author, Daniel Schwabauer, the creator of the highly praised one-year adventure novel and cover story, fuses journalism with history in his innovative chrono journalism course. Your student will study the work of great journalists of the past. Let's listen as Daniel takes us through the minds of writers and journalists. Let's get into the podcast. And we'll be right back after we thank our sponsors. With the holidays coming around, there just seems to be more <coughs> coughs, ah, sore throats, and sleepless nights caring for sick kids and spouses, making the holidays not so fun, which is why I am so excited to introduce Neutralite. This company has been around for 80 plus years. They were green before green was even a thing. They have the world's number one kids and adults vitamins and kids and adults probiotics. This company uses the power of plants from seed to product to nourish and support you and your family's immune systems so you can have fun and enjoy living life together. You know, personal testimony. I had allergies for years and couldn't even be in the room with dust or cats. And the only thing I've changed since then were my vitamins and supplements. They truly cleaned out my system. And now I have three cats. Don't spend another penny on low quality vitamins that invest more in advertisement than the product. Arm yourself with Neutralite vitamins and probiotics, and they have so many more things that will keep you and your family happy and healthy. Also, you can earn points towards cash with every purchase, and with purchases over $99, there's free shipping. Stop losing sleep and time with your family and get back to life with Neutralite. The link is in the show notes. Daniel, say hello to our listeners. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and can you tell us something you think most people don't know about homeschooling? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. It's I'm delighted to be here. Um, I've been in the homeschool community as a, as a vendor with the One Year Adventure Novel. Uh, the company's Clearwater Press. I've been doing this for over 20 years. And uh, one thing that I say consistently when I talk at homeschooling conferences is that um, young people, students, when we're trying to teach them, um, the, one of the most important things you can do is to invite them to learn to love learning. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that, in my opinion, is you, you use the, their, their desire, their passion, the things they're interested in to provoke a sense of curiosity because curiosity is what makes us interested in our own learning. And, that, and if they do that, they'll actually become um, invested in their own education. And they'll sort of take the, the bull by the horns, so to speak, and they'll end up learning more than they would in public school. And there's a, there's, I don't know if you want me to talk about this, but there's a principle to this that is, it's very, very simple. It's a, it's a principle from storytelling, actually. 
um, that good stories don't tell you things you're not, they don't answer questions you're not asking. For instance, um, there, if you take a, a book like Ivanhoe, the first sentence of the book Ivanhoe is, in that uh, pleasant district of Merry England, which is watered by the River Don, there extended in ancient times a large forest covering the greater part of the beautiful hills and valleys which lie between Sheffield and the pleasant town of Doncaster, all one sentence. And you don't care. By the time you get to the end of that sentence, you're going, <laughs> I don't care. Why do I care? There's nothing in this that makes me care. Right. If you contrast that with the book Peter Pan, there's a work of genius. Hmm. It, it opens with, with a six word sentence that begins like this. All children except one grow up. Now that is a great opening because it creates curiosity. It provokes a question. As totally. soon as you read that sentence, you go, well, who is this weird kid <laughs> that doesn't grow up? You mean he lives forever? I mean, it raises all these questions, right? So um, the problem that we often have in, in, whether it's public school or private school, homeschooling, whatever curriculum, we end up giving kids answers to questions they're not asking. And we, at the beginning of every school year, we give them a stack of books and we say, here's all the stuff you need to know about algebra. And most of them are going, I don't care about algebra. Here's all the stuff you need to know about biology. Well, I don't care about biology. It actually works a lot better to teach someone when you provoke the question first and they ask you, they go, well, why is that? And when they say, why is that? Then you show them, you give them directions to the answer. And when they're invested in the process of learning, of, of going, well, well, that's interesting. Why, why does that? What, tell me more. Then all of a sudden, the answers that you give them don't fall on deaf ears. They're paying attention. Um, and you can actually see this with video games. If, if you um, set a kid in front of a video game and you make, the, you make the experience, you give them whatever, six or eight hours in front of a video game, whatever they would spend in, in a classroom learning, at the end of that day, I can guarantee you with a brand new video game, they'll be able to tell you the names of the bosses. They'll be able to tell you the game mechanics, the rules, all of the things that they have to overcome, the rewards, the different powers, the weapons, the things that they learn, the puzzles they put together. They'll be able to tell you all of that. Why? Because it was fun. Right. It was, fun. It was an adventure. It was a story. They provoked questions all along the way. Why did that happen? What is that clue to? It fires their brain and it gets them going. And with school, we've taken the opposite approach. We've taken the approach of what's easy for teachers to grade, Whoa. right? In instead of, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and again, I, I told you earlier, I'm not against teachers. I teach at a local university and I'm, I'm, I'm all for, I appreciate teachers. But you're it's, right. it's such an underappreciated um, job. But um, when we make it all about what's easiest for the teacher so we can give them 30 or 35 students in a classroom, and, and, and industrialized education, we're doing something a little bit wrong. Wow, that's a powerful, you know, paradigm. I never even, as a teacher myself, I never even thought of it that way. But as you're talking about it, that is exactly right. It's what is it easier for the teacher so that they can teach 35 different children from different cultures, backgrounds, and just different walks of life. So that way it's not as difficult it's very that's very true mm -hmm. wow to attest to what you were saying about video game my husband and i when we first started dating he was a big video gamer he loved playing video games and he got me kind of hooked into it in the beginning and we got this video game called god of war and we spent ugh, i i'm embarrassed to say but we spent <laughs> 
close to like nine, 10 hours playing the video game. Yeah. Because yeah. it was actually it was actually formatted in a story form. Every now and then it would yeah. stop and it would go into like it was like a mini movie that we were just like, whoa, this is a movie. So we didn't always have to play. We kind of stopped and watched like where our efforts got us. And then we were able to continue on playing the game. It was a really cool experience. I have to, and it, the word experience, we experienced the game. So yeah. how did you come to this philosophy? How did you come to this paradigm of understanding how students and children, you know, their brains operate? Well, it's really a pairing of two things. One is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. I write science fiction and fantasy, and I've studied story structure for over 30 years. And so um, really part of my, my philosophy or my approach comes from um, looking at the way stories work and in terms of making people interested. And in teaching, in teaching high school students and middle school students, I started to realize that I needed to use, it was, it was just way easier to teach through storytelling, to actually use story techniques to keep a, a classroom engaged or a student engaged. And that led me to the conclusion, you know, the same reason that um, the same techniques that work in storytelling will work in teaching because we're wired for story. And that's what I think neuroscience tells us. We're wired for this, the, the hemispheres of the brain, the representational left hemisphere and the metaphorical um, sort of synthesizing right hemisphere uh, are really are really uh, put together a story engine, and that's why we learn best through stories, not through breaking things into pieces and just analyzing the pieces. Or we learn more deeply when we see things as a story, and it kind of goes back to that when you said you experience the story. That's why it works, because story gives us a way to experience something vicariously. We can have whole classes of experience through a story. This is what C.S. Lewis said about, about fairy stories. They give us classes of experience. And um, Diane Wynne-Jones, who wrote Howl's Moving Castle, said something similar. She said that uh, basically they, a story will show children the way life ought to be. And then they have a map in their head when they, when they come across situations, people that seem a little off, they go, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so storytelling is this really, really important way of understanding life and the world. But when it comes to um, mainstream education, and even a lot of homeschooling, we, we tend to ignore all that. And we go, no, we save that for later. You can have a story as a reward for doing all the drudge stuff. Wow. When I just say, what, why make it the reward? I mean, a reward, it's fine to use it as a reward, but why not just make it the whole thing? Why, why not bring story techniques in and make your whole day a sort of story? And this doesn't mean you have to be Steven Spielberg or, or have the imagination <laughs> of a, you know, Marvel comics or something. It just means you need to, um, well, if I can give a little, just a little bit of advice here on, on what, what storytellers are doing, especially with children. Children's brains are wired for three primary emotions. And this is what storytellers, this is the way storytellers see it, movie makers. Um, and and it, all kids start out from somewhere around five years old. Their brains are looking for, for primarily for a sense of wonder. Wonder is, the, is defined by story in this sense, it's by storytellers as the feeling you get when something is better than you expected. But they're also driven to want 
what storytellers would call horror, which is not, don't think of ax murderers and blood dripping, you know, terribly fearful things. Think of things just that are worse than you expect. Mm. And then the third one, which is, which is still really up there, but it's the third thing is humor. And humor is what you get when you have a situation that is neither better nor worse, but different than what you expected. So uh, I like to use as an example, dinosaurs. The reason children universally love dinosaurs is because they are simultaneously better and worse and different than you expect. Oh, wow. So when, when you start to teach children every day, if you can make something a little better than they expect, it doesn't have to be 10 compared to a one. You know, like they expect a one when they come to school and you don't have to make it a 10. If you just make it a three, they're going to get a little sort of a hit of wonder and they're going to go, that was kind of fun. We came to school and the, the, all the, all the uh, desks were in a different, you know, arrangement or something. It was different and maybe a little bit better. Um, I remember dissecting frogs when I was in high school Me and there too. was a day when I, yeah, I came back. This is a true story. I came back after we, you know, we cut the frog open. We'd taken its innards out. I came back the next day and I just was poking on its heart with my uh, scalpel. And its heart started beating again, slayed oh. out there on the tray. <laughs> it was weird. I, could, I would call that a little, in the story sense, it was horror. It wasn't like, you know, I guess it wasn't, it was a little gross, but I mean, it's not horror in the sense of a horror movie, but it was worse than I expected. And, and of course, my friends, we were all like, whoa, look at that. The heart's beating again, you know? And guess what? I remembered it. I remember all these years later. <laughs> And, and for some reason, we don't do these things that I guarantee um, video game manufacturers are working wonder, horror, and humor into their video games. And they're delivering things that kids remember and they talk about because, and the kids don't think that was horror or that was a wonder. They just think that was fun. And there's no reason we can't do this as educators as well. Um, my, my contention from what, what we do in teaching them at the one-year adventure novel, what I try to teach them is I want them to understand how story works because I think it's innate in all of us. We want to be storytellers. We don't all want to be writers. We don't all want to be filmmakers, but we all want to be better storytellers. So that's where I think it, when kids feel empowered that you're giving them, um, let's say it this way, Every, even like a seven-year-old will understand that if they're telling a good story, they're actually controlling the people in the room because they're controlling what's going on in your imagination. They don't wow. have much control in their lives. You know, they don't. And so the idea they could tell a story and parents would sit around or their uncles or their grandpa would sit around and laugh at a story. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a, a compelling thing when you're seven or nine or 14 years old. And when, when you, I say as a, as a writer, here's how it works. Here's how you do this. Um, and I give them those tools. My favorite thing as a teacher is to see the light bulb go on and see them go, oh, that's why they did this in this movie and this movie and this movie. In fact, my, one of the, my favorite things is when students finish the one-year adventure novel program, um, the most common thing I hear is, um, Mr. S, you have ruined all movies for me for the rest of my oh. life. Because <laughs> I know how they work now. And I say, no, I, I didn't ruin all of them. I ruined the bad ones. The good ones will still work on you. But now you can actually be a better gatekeeper of your mind because you'll be able to see where the manipulation is taking place and you can decide, do I want this emotion to manipulate me? Do I want these characters in this character arc? Do I want them to have control of my imagination? And you can turn out what you don't, what you don't want. That is so cool. Can you 
I had so many other things I wanted to say, but now I, I'm, I'm on a new spot. <laughs> Can you walk <laughs> us through um, like what the one year novel, like what, what does it look like in like instructionally? Like what, what yeah. would that look like to a student? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a year long language arts program for high schoolers and it's taught on video. So I do all the teaching, there's 78 lessons and essentially it's broken up into two semesters. The first semester I'm, I'm teaching the, the big things of storytelling, um, character, uh, conflict, disasters and dilemmas, story arcs, what, uh, what, I, what I call the five elements, the creative elements of story. Um, and they're actually creating an outline. They, they go through in a workbook, they answer 450 questions. Those questions were written by me for me when I do, when I do write novels. Uh, but they basically are designed to pull the story idea out of the students. So the students writing their own idea, and they usually begin with, a. some of them begin with knowing where they want to go. But most of the time, it's like, well, I just want to write a pirate story, or I want to write a fantasy novel, you know, about a sorcerer, or whatever the thing is, they bring it to their, and then they answer the questions. And as they're answering the questions, they're, they're actually plotting out a 12 chapter arc of their novel. In, in the second semester, we keep doing the video lessons. Um, I, you know, I, I, they don't answer those questions anymore, but I lead them through writing the rough draft. So we, we, the focus shifts a little bit to what makes prose good, but also but primarily what makes the story work in prose form, how narr uh, narration can drive a story forward. And I, I sometimes say that if you wanna be a mechanic, you can read books about engines but at some point, it's going to really help you to take an engine apart and put one together. And so when they take, we actually take apart the book, The Prisoner of Zenda, um, which is a, uh, I won't go into it, but it's a novel. It's over 100 years old. But it's very cleverly done. We take that one apart and we analyze it. But we also, they, the main point is that in the second semester, they write their own novel. And in doing that, they're practicing all of the techniques. And in, and in practicing the techniques, they start to see them everywhere. You start to see story being used in political speeches and on, on Facebook and in Marvel movies and in you know, uh, speeches and, and sermons and everywhere stories being used. And they go, That's, this is how that could have been better or wow, that was a great story because they did A, B, and C. That that's is a, that's really the cool. program in a nutshell, yeah. That's, real, that's amazing, it's really cool. So I, I, I can go back to my other question now. So, no, there is, so, in my mind, I'm realizing, I know every day I talk to myself. I have like a narration going on in my brain every day. Like I mm -hmm. literally n realize that I'm building my daily story. And yeah. I, with that, the narration that goes on in my brain while I am going throughout my day, right? I, I don't really realize that I'm doing that, but I think most people are doing that, right? Like we are yes. narrating our day either. And for those of us who plan also, like I plan my day in the morning um, and then I'm talking to myself throughout the whole entire day. And at the end of the night, I think back at my day and like what I could have done better. So is that like the basic kind of flow that as a writer or as a storyteller or trying to bring someone to become a storyteller is that kind of what is happening well i i mean i think all writers probably do things a little bit differently but i think everybody processes their their internal they kind of write internally before they write externally 
you know, they come up with the character ideas and they don't, we don't always know like what's going to happen when we sit down and do a rough draft. Um, but, but what you're getting at, I think is really important in, in self-awareness. When you start recognizing how stories work, you can start to realize that you're actually using story techniques on yourself. For instance, I, I sometimes tell students, you know, um, you may not realize you did this, but when you were pulling into the parking lot and that person took your spot, you sort of turned them into a villain and you assumed you made a story out of it that they did it on purpose that they were actually sort of out to get you and you're the good guy and they're the bad guy. And we do this all the time. And, and, and it's not just that it's, it's not bad, but it can be used for, because we're wired for story, um, advertisers and political activists and, and uh, just about everybody on the planet at this point is trying to use these techniques to get us to, to construct narratives that fit their agenda. And I think being aware of what those techniques are doesn't fix everything because it doesn't fix the heart. You know, my heart can still be invested in me being the hero of the story. And I'm, you know, this may sound a little weird to some in your audience, but I'm not the hero of the story. In my opinion, God's the only hero. We're all what I would call the love interest. And if you see yourself as the hero, you're going to see everybody else as a supporting cast and you're going to have expectations from them, but they have the same, most people have the same narrative going on. They're the hero of their story and you're just part of the supporting cast of their story. And, and when you don't fulfill your role, the way they're, the way they've constructed it, the way they've been taught to expect from stories, then people start to get irritated rather than, than looking at it like, you know what, we're actually, we're actually in this together. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not meant to be at odds with each other like this. You're, I'm not going to see you as the villain. Uh, I'm not going to see myself as the hero of the story. In fact, a lot of times what even, even what movies will do, they will turn someone into a villain just by virtue of their opposition. For instance, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, your, your audience may remember that movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The, the principle in that story, I mean, it's a funny movie that <clears throat> works really well. But the principal is made into this weaselly kind of guy because he's trying to get Ferris not to skip school. He's trying to get him not to be a, a, a blockhead, you know, like, like get him to learn, right? But in, in more circumstances, we'd think the principal is doing something good. But because we're on Ferris Bueller's side and we think he sort of deserves to have a day off, now the principal becomes the villain. And this happens all the time. Anybody opposed to me is the villain. Well, they're not the villain. There are villains in the, out there. There are some creepy, yeah. creepy people. Yeah. Just because they're opposed to me doesn't mean that they're a bad guy or a bad girl. You know, like it doesn't, doesn't follow. And yet in our culture, we're so divided because these story forces, in part, it's story forces that are getting us to see the world through this really uh, narrow perspective. And I think that if people understood the techniques that were going on, we might be more self-aware. We might be more aware of the narratives we're telling ourselves and go, oh, is that really a fair way of, of, of characterizing what just happened? Maybe, maybe that's not, maybe I'm being a little too self-centered in this and I could, I could try to see the world from their perspective. That is really powerful as well. Wow. So you, um, you have three different levels. I noticed when I was uh, checking out your website, you had like middle school and two high school. You may have some more. Those are the three that really kind of stood out to me. 
do they work um, in succession to bring the students to that place of, you know, that, that last, you know, novel writing? Because the first one was a cover story. I think middle schoolers create a cover yes. story like a, a magazine. Yes. Yeah. Cover story is magazine writing. It's really short form. And it, it does, you know, we do poetry, we do letter writing, we do short stories, we do blog posts, um, anything that could be in a magazine. And the idea is that when you're in middle school, you don't have the, um, you don't have the, the attention vocabulary? span. Okay. Well, vocab vocabulary, I mean, they don't have the attention span to do a novel. It's just to work on a project that takes months is beyond most middle schoolers. And so I switch gears a lot. I'm a lot goofier in middle school. It's got kind of a steampunk vibe. I just want to keep them interested in having fun uh, writing about what whatever they're interested in. So they bring the topic. They can write about Minecraft or dancing or horses or army stuff or whatever they whatever they feel like. And then I sh I show them how to do the different short stories and poetry forms and all that kind of stuff. And then in high school we have the one year adventure novel, which is the the novel writing program. We have a program that probably fits best to follow that called Byline, which is ostensibly it's essay writing, but it's really, it's a, it's a year long story where the students become time traveling reporters working for me in a 1930s era newspaper, digging up stories from the printed past Too and cool. finding news that we've forgotten. Yeah. So it's, it's got a very, it's a, it's kind of a noir vibe and, um, and, and it requires research, but it, what I'm, what I don't tell them I'm doing, the secret is I'm really teaching them to do uh, different types of essay writing under the guise of journalism. Uh, I love so you get that. like a feature story is, is a, is a narrative essay really. And a hard news story is an expository essay. And they, they learn all the techniques and the, the jargon of journalism, but they're, I'm really trying to teach them how to tell a compelling essay. And then we, this summer we're releasing a uh, program that's done except for the final editing of the videos. It's called Other Worlds. And it's, it's a follow-up to the one-year adventure novel where they do a science fiction or fantasy novel. And so it really gets into these genres that are taking over the culture. Uh, I, I, I talk about where they came from, the, the types of storytelling um, that, that, that they're suited for, and they write a science fiction or a fantasy novel uh, in, a, in a school year. That is so awesome oh my goodness i honestly wish i was a teenager again so i can pass all over and i'm sure parents probably or adults can take your course too right like if they wanted to yeah. get better in their writing yes yeah we actually do have a number of of adult students that do it every year yeah that's awesome so as we're wrapping up um is there one thing you would like to leave parents with or homeschool families or those thinking about homeschooling, is there one big takeaway you'd want them to walk away with from this conversation we had today? Well, uh, on a, just on a simple level, uh, parents who are feeling overwhelmed, I, I've done a lot of conferences in the last 20 years, and I see a lot of um, haggard and frazzled moms who come out of the speaking sessions, the vendor halls, and they go, I don't know what to do. There's so much. It can be so overwhelming. Um, just whether you ever do our products or not, um, it, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not have everything figured out. I, I can almost guarantee you virtually every um, homeschool mom that's invested in their, in their child's education is putting more work into it 
than you would see going on at a public school for that student. And it doesn't mean that there aren't great teachers out there. It's just, if you're comparing apples to apples, your, your efforts, your mistakes um, are not gonna be the thing that it's not gonna cripple your students learning. Your investment in them and your ability to say, you know what, I think we need to work on this and to tailor their education to them is actually gonna be a really big key. So um, you don't have to be an expert in every subject. There are other programs, math programs. There's people like me, Clearwater Press is our company. Um, we have programs to help. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to know how to write a novel, uh, but whether you use our programs or not, there's someone out there, there's a program out there that can make this a lot easier on you than, than you may be thinking right now. So don't, don't, don't stress out. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Don't stress out. What's the call to action? Where can they find you and where can they get your resources? Yeah, thank you for asking that. It's, uh, if you go to clearwaterpress.com, you can see all of our programs on there. We actually have a, a free ebook called Curiosity Saved the Cat that you can get to from that website. It's clearwaterpress.com slash curiosity. We also have a guide to good books that our staff put together over a period of a couple of years. It's got um, 500 books that we recommend that are, they, they're broken out by genre, by demographic, there's spoiler things. There's also like trigger warning type things where we say, hey, this probably isn't good for this situation. And, and we say why we think they're worth reading. So if you're, if you're overwhelmed by, you know, well, what, what stuff do I have my kid read? Well, that's a good place to start. It's free. Um, it's a downloadable PDF. And you can get that by at the same website, clearwaterpress.com slash good books. But basically, if you go to Clearwater Press, you'll be able to see all that material. And uh, you can also contact us from there if you have questions. In a sentence or two, can you tell us who can benefit from, what, what type of student can benefit from your program? Yeah, there's really two, two that we've seen in the last, you know, since 2008. One is um, students who are story nerds who love, <laughs> love the idea of making films or writing books or whatever. That, that seems to be obvious, but there's another one, and that's the kids who have given up on English because they've been, they're just so bored by it because they think it's sentence diagramming. And they don't, they don't see the need for it. They know how to speak. They can write a sentence out, and they, they think they're done. Uh, we've, we've had great results with kids who have kind of learned to hate language arts. We've had a lot of them go, man, I used to hate it and I love it now. So it, both of those sides seem to be good fits for our programs. That's awesome. I love that testimony. When a kid goes from, I hated this subject to, I love it and potentially even becoming a career. That yeah. to me is so powerful. That is so powerful. Wow. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for just spending time with us today and talking to us about your program and your your books and just how your mind works and how you've been able to just create something where, you know, you're actually finding their voice. In fact, you're helping them find not just their voice, but that lost wonder, that place within them that when they wake, I remember being a teenager and waking up almost every day thinking something new is about to happen to me. Something great is gonna happen. And I really don't know if a lot of the students nowadays wake up like that anymore, yeah, but I yeah, do yeah. feel through storytelling and just awakening that 
sleeping giant within them, I think yeah. that's going to be so powerful. And my goodness, when you can change a paradigm, you can change the world. Yeah, that's a really astute observation, Vex. Thank you. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> that's a great way to end, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. You're you just it's been a great honor. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. If you love the conversations we're having here on the Homeschool Advantage podcast, follow or subscribe our podcast to stay in the loop and never miss this amazing content. And please highly consider taking a minute to leave a positive rating and review to help others like you discover this show. See you next time.